the virgin birth fact or fantasy we're going to talk about that today right here on the dunamis word broadcast call somebody and tell them the dunamis word is on the air and your blessing is coming to you today of love that the world would ever know. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this son came as a lamb. He would become a conquering king, but he came as a lamb. He would be king of kings and lord of lords, but he came as a lamb. And he came for you. People came from miles around all to worship and bow down oh what a privilege a privilege it was they called him lamb of Shepherds came seeking this lamb and their lives would never be the same. The angelic host formed a choir and sang from the heavenlies. Wise men were wise enough to seek and bow down to this lamb. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came because he loves you. It's great to know that God so loved the world, but more important to know that God loves you. Now here it is Many years have passed They say his time Has come and passed oh, But I'm so glad That it remains You're still the Lamb of God John looked over the horizon and saw Walking as no man walked, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's still saving, he's still redeeming, and he's still there for you today. Receive him, say yes to him, and he will change your life. Time cannot change him, and ages do not time him. He's still the Lamb of God.
oh my God, and he is still the Lamb of God. Ooh, yes, I thank God that he is still holy. He is still loving. He is still Alpha. He is still Omega. He is still the Lamb of God. This is Superintendent Harvey Burnett, and as you can tell, I'm full, but I want to uh, wish you a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday Season from my family uh, to yours, from our church, the New Bethel Church of God in Christ, to you and to your family and to your church. God bless you real good, and thank you for tuning in today to this particular broadcast. Um, uh, real quickly, to let you know how to get a hold of me, you can email me at dunamis1, that's D-U-N-A a-M-I-S-1 at netzero.com. Dunamis1 at netzero. Spell that netzero out. Don't just put a net and then a zero. Put N-E-T-Z-E-R-O dot com. And also you can reach us uh, on our blog at um, Bethel Burnett. That's B-E-T-H-E-L Burnett, B-U-R-N-E-T-T dot blogspot dot com that's bethel burnett dot blogspot b l o g s p o t dot com uh you'll find this particular uh broadcast attached to a recent holiday and christmas post i've done called unto us a son is given and listen that's what we want to talk about today this son that is given we want to talk about one of the most um focal parts of the christian uh, experience, the Christian teaching, doctrine, dogma, whatever you want to call it, and that is the virgin birth. Many of the critics say, oh, the virgin birth is just a copycat of ancient myths and all that type of thing. Uh, others say that the wording is wrong, uh, that, that Isaiah uh, 7 and 14 didn't spell out uh, the word virgin. He was just talking about a young woman. Uh, and other, others say, and uh, along with that, that even the prophecy was talking about somebody else. It wasn't talking about Jesus. And so many different critics are talking about a lot of different things and we can chalk that up to what it's worth and believe me let me tell you it's not too much but what we're going to do today is build and confirm the faith of the saints and talk about this very central important event of Christianity because uh, if Jesus had not have come if he was not God uh, if he was just the son of man then he's not able to save us you know if he was just uh, the son of a another human being then his works may have been good works but there is no salvation in those works there's only salvation in the works that God has done in this earth real quickly Isaiah 7 and 14 is uh, uh, really kind of starts the ball rolling he says uh, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign behold a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, that was controversial enough by itself. Isaiah was prophesying in the time of King Ahaz, who was an evil and wicked king. And those of you who know our Bible uh, students, you know that during that time, the kingdom was in trouble. In fact, it was um, uh, two years later that there would be a, a siege and the kingdom would be run over because of their disobedience as God had promised. Uh, but, you know, many have said, now, what is this prophecy? And then you combine that with the other prophecy in the book of Isaiah in chapter 9. And we might as well read that while we're there. Uh, it says in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. 
And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Verse 7 says, Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end, upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform that. Now you combine those two things together, they become over time known as what's called Messianic prophecy. Prophecies. Uh, they were uh, prophecies saying that these are the signs or the identifications of the Messiah, that when the Messiah comes, this is how he will know, how we will know that he is the Messiah. So early on, uh, Isaiah 714 was certainly accepted by the Jewish culture as being a part of that prophetic utterance. It was only until after Matthew chapter 1 uh, when Matthew begins to explain, starting in a verse about verse 18, what Joseph felt about this woman named Mary, who he, who he was getting ready to marry, what he felt about her already being pregnant, that the whole situation came up. And you'll find that uh, Matthew tells the story from Joseph's perspective. Uh, if it had not have been for Matthew talking about what Joseph felt and the process and uh, evolution, if you will, of his understanding and dealing with this particular situation, we would not have known what Joseph felt and or thought. Um, but Matthew begins to deal with Joseph's thoughts of how God appeared to Joseph and how he gave him a dream and uh, began to speak to his heart and mind, tell him, hey, listen, uh, uh, um, don't worry don't be afraid don't fear because the baby that's in Mary's womb is not of any man it, it in other words um, like many of the critics assert um, uh, Panthera uh, was Jesus's father or or we don't know who Jesus's father is uh, and all of that type of um, uh, uh, stuff uh, but nevertheless um, <laughs> the Lord knew and the Lord began to tell Joseph said no man uh, this baby is is not a part of any man it's not a part of the regular biological nature or bloodline of men in this earth um, and now I want you to look at something real quick and I want to deviate there because I've done the study on this on both the web and uh, uh, on uh, the blog and we've we've taken the time to put out a PDF on this topic but I want to reflect back real quickly to Genesis 3:15 and in Genesis 3:15 we'll see something here that I want you to put a thumbtack on uh, Genesis 3:15 is also known uh, scholars uh, uh, generally agree that this is also a messianic prophecy as well uh, Genesis 3:15 says and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. Now, he was talking to the serpent uh, himself. This is God pronouncing his judgments uh, after the willful sin of man and the fall uh, from the garden. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. And it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, I want you to pay attention to the middle. It says, and between thy seed and her seed. That's a very important uh, note, uh, notation to make in this particular chapter between thy seed and her seed. What we'll find out is that uh, Jesus was not the seed of man. 
<laughs> That's right. He was not the seed of man. Neither did Mary just autonomously uh, uh, have this baby. But this was a product of the Holy Ghost himself. God actually planted uh, everything that needed to be planted. He began the life process in Mary's womb. Now, Mary was a virgin at the time. And this is where the story really gets confused because people will accept. OK, uh, you say that you had a special birth and all of that. But uh, one thing that physical science tells us uh, is that, um, you know, women just don't come up pregnant on their own without the physical seed uh, of a man. But nevertheless, the Bible describes in Isaiah chapter 7 and 14, uh, the Bible uses this term, uh, this word called all made to describe um, uh, uh, Mary. It said uh, uh, here, we have therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin. The word virgin is translated there as all made. Now, the controversy is heightened because the critic has asserted that the word that should have been used if um, uh, Isaiah was pointing to a physical virgin or one who had not had sex with a man uh, would be the word betula. And many have believed that, and you know, there's been a lot of things written. Well, they should have used Betula, and uh, Isaiah uses Betula other times in his in his writing. And uh, because he didn't use Betula, he didn't mean to say. And and in those times that he uses it, he specifically is pointing toward virginity um, and uh, all of these type of things. And because he didn't use it here, he used Alme as opposed to um, um, uh, Betula. That uh, certainly he was. Uh, referencing just a young woman because all may means young woman and not uh, necessarily virgin. But the critic, you know, we can stop there uh, because that is not necessarily true as we will go into this study and find out. Uh, another thing that happened is because there were more Greek speaking Jews than Hebrew speaking Jews at a certain time, um, the Hebrew Bible, the, the Greek Old Testament or the Hebrew Old Testament uh, was translated into the Greek. And when it came down to this verse, the Greeks um, used the word called Parthenos uh, to translate virgin. Parthenos meant virgin in the Greek language without equivocation. And so many individuals said that it was uh, a mistake of the LXS, LXX, which was also known as the Septuagint. And there were uh, various uh, versions of the Septuagint that were made available. But the primary version, the LXX, uh, used this word Parthenos. This was done actually 200 years before Matthew came along. Uh, and what we will uh, discover today in this particular study is that there was good reason that the word Parthenos was used to designate virgin. Uh, and also, uh, we will un uncover the thought that Almay means more than just a young woman, that Almay also means virgin. And uh, Al Almay is actually the more particular and better word to use to indicate one who is young, who is of marriage mar marriageable age, and who also has not had sex uh, with a man. Uh, so, but let's look at the word Betula first. Um, and this broadcast will carry into a part two. So don't worry, we'll get uh, through part of this and then really hit it hard in the second part to finish this topic off. But the word Betula, 
uh, occurs 50 times in the Old Testament. We can kind of pin down the word Betula and how it's used a little bit better even than the word Alme. Uh, it's used 21 times in reference to a virgin, but that is only determined by context. Okay, so you have to read the verse and understand the context to understand why even the word is used. The word is used an additional 12 times in a metaphorical sense uh, associated with prophecy or some other portion of the word of God. Uh, That word appears from all available evidence that it was used to infer virginity as well. But the uh, rigid thought that the word always means virginity is more of a recent advent. In other words, that's more for these linguistic buffs here in the modern day and age, really since the time that Matthew has written, but more in the modern day and age because they, you know, want to make it so that uh, that that word is the only word that can be used for virginity. But as we will see in this, there's plenty of evidence to the contrary. Uh, So we need to look at this. And although in many cases, Betula has come to mean virgin, as we interpret in a modern linguistic concept and context, we find that historically the word did not necessarily conclude that the person was a virgin or one who had never had sexual intercourse. And we'll find that out when we look at Genesis chapter 24, verse 15 and 16. And our reading it says this, um, before he had finished praying, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, uh, who was the wife of Abraham's brother, Nahor. Um, the girl, or Naar, uh, was very beautiful, a virgin, Betula, that's the word that was used there. No man had ever lain with her. What we find in this particular scripture is um, a little thought called redundancy. And redundancy uh, says that there's two things stated. Uh, you know, if she had been, if Betula, her being a virgin, was clear, then why is there no man had ever lain with her? Okay, we'll find this also in Judges uh, 21 and 12, the same type of appellation, the same type of structure. And um, listen, our time is fleeting on this broadcast and we're running out, but we'll pick this up right here in our next broadcast. So stay tuned. Have a very Merry Christmas and we'll talk to you on the next broadcast.